Well, good morning, church. There are quite a few, as I was praying, thinking of how many people in this church have a family member or know somebody that's dealt with a funeral this week. And we had asked in a prayer email, pray for Hollinsworth, for Brian as a part of the Toledo Police Department. They lost another officer this week, and he's part of the planning for that funeral. And uh, Georgia Snicky's mother passed away Monday, and then Martha Martinez and Carmen Cardenas, their mother passed away. And um, Andrea Tiarina's father, John, passed away yesterday. That's also Lisa Ashelman's brother. Um, that Austin's, you had a funeral for your grandfather yesterday. And so there's, it seems like there's been a lot going on. I had a funeral. I was in yesterday and also doing today later. And, and it just, right now, it just seems like what we need is a reminder that God is still in control, that it's going to be okay. And then in our sorrow, we will find hope and we'll find peace, we'll find strength. And uh, it's tough times. And so this morning, and again, I don't know if maybe this is why the timing of God's word comes the way it does. Uh, but this morning, I pray that his words will give us all hope and encouragement to keep pressing on in these days. And understanding that God's got this. And that's my faith. That's what I believe. Amen. Grab your Bibles, would you please? I'm going to be opening them up soon in the book of Joshua. As you're turning there, you're thinking, Joshua, Joshua 6. Well, what's in Joshua 6? Well, let me give you a hint, okay? First of all, let me point out the Great Wall of China. 4,100 miles long, basically. It's, if it's long enough to stretch from Florida uh, to the North Pole. 25 feet tall in some places, 15 to 30 feet wide in other places. Built for protection, but it failed. Another wall, Berlin Wall, built in August of 1961 after World War II. Basically, a defeated Germany was divided. Berlin separated east from the west. But as you know, that wall fell. Then we have a, a wall separating Mexico and the U.S. It's 420 miles of it. It's been completed, which is about 45% of what they hoped to complete. So that never got finished. And then the last wall that I could think of was, well, Pink Floyd, the wall. So... I was running out of walls, but that one came to mind. And, well, that one sort of flopped on my listening skills there. But anyway, a lot of famous walls. And, well, Joshua chapter 6, we come to the walls of Jericho, of course. That sort of leads up to all that. But all these walls, all these things that stood and have fell and stood it and, and flopped. But when Jericho was standing there, boy, that's a, that a huge fortress. That's a wall that nobody would ever, ever think of falling, Right? For Joshua and the Israelites, as they just crossed that dry Jordan River, now they see this big obstacle in front of them. Jericho, a fortified city, a huge wall, more than a stronghold. And as a military force, if you can't just walk by Jericho and leave it in the rearview mirror, knowing that there's a fortress behind you that could come up and get you. It has to be invaded, right? What do you do with this? And this was, by the way, these people's first opponent that they had to face. I mean, this was going to be their first military obstacle that they tried to figure out how can we be victorious over it. Which means, sort of leads me to the thought then, how do we deal with the huge obstacles in our life? the fortresses that stand before us, the tough times that we face, how do we face them? How do we handle those things in front of us right now that you're facing that seem insurmountable? 
What do you do with those moments when you're thinking there's, there's no path to victory that I can see? There's no overcoming this. Things seem way too difficult right now to move forward. How do we handle these situations? I pray from God's word this morning we find some answers to those questions to help all of us. So let's focus in on Jericho. Let's, what kind of walls were they? What kind of city was this? Well, the walls were thick. They were fortified. Archaeological studies prove what we believe, what we know to be true, right? I love it when they dig up something like, well, I guess it is true. Yeah, we've known that all along, right? Two thick walls is what they believe was with an inclined space in between the walls. First wall being about 30 feet tall. Second wall was obviously towering higher. The first wall was said to be maybe about six feet wide. The second wall was wide enough that you could race chariots on top. Wow, that would be an incredible thing to picture, wouldn't it be? Obstacles, very intimidating. Just defeating by looking at it. You look at it and you're like, I don't know how we'll ever penetrate. I don't know how ever we'll get over that, right? That's our perspective from the outside. But do you know what they're thinking on the inside? Let's see what God's word has to say. It says in chapter 6, verse 1, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go in or out. Did, did you see what we just said there? The Israelites are walking up, looking at this incredible fortified city saying, what are we going to do? The people inside are, inside they're doing the same thing. They're going, what are we going to do? They were just as afraid as the Israelites were. They were aware of the stories. They heard the stories about the God of the Israelites. Brought plagues on Egypt. Part of the Red Sea. Opened up the Jordan so they come across on dry ground. What kind of God does that? We have no way of surviving a God like that, right? That's what they're thinking on the inside. On the outside, of course, the Israelites, the people of God are like, how are we going to face this huge obstacle? Well, that's the situation Now here comes the next set of information. God's going to give some military instructions, some direction for how to handle all this. But he has to start with a very strong statement. This is a verse in the Bible you may want to underline, but it's not a verse anybody memorizes. Like Joshua chapter 6, verse 2. But the Lord said, nobody's memorizing this verse, but let's check this verse out because it's huge. The Lord said to Joshua, I've given you Jericho, its king, and its strong warriors. Okay, enough said. The Lord. Didn't we, didn't we just think about Lord of heaven and earth? Didn't we just think about that? He isn't just Lord of one thing. He is Lord of all. He isn't just powerful in one place. He's powerful in all. He is the Lord, Jehovah, the great commander. We need to remember this because it's the Lord saying to Joshua, I, what? I have given you Jericho. This is God who's in charge. Because I've given you Jericho. We can just stop at that verse right there and we should have enough to have faith to move forward, right? But of course we don't. But we all need to hear this. God already did this. Did you notice that? I have given you. It isn't I am giving you. I've given it to you. I already gave it to you. It's yours. Marching orders that I'm about ready to give you is just basically going to pick up something that I've already given you victory for. The victory's already been there. They're already defeated. You're already the winners. So start acting like winners, right? I mean, is that kind of talk that God's using here? 
He's just basically saying, I'm about ready to give you instructions to go pick up something that already belongs to you. Let me help you understand this. Years ago, I was off uh, in another town doing some, uh, some of the work I do with FCA, I think. I was driving around, and Jenny calls me and says, hey, while you were there in that town, can you go to the store and pick something up for me? Okay, in that moment, okay, of trying to be the best husband I can be, fear struck a chord. Now, why is that? Because for men, or at least for me, I won't throw all the men under the bus, you put a mall in front of me, that's a Jericho, okay? That's a Jericho. I don't want to penetrate those walls and head into that place, right? That, that mall, no way. It's scary. And I'm going to shop for my wife? Are you kidding me? I don't know what she likes, what size, what color. And, and if I think I've nailed it, it'll probably get returned. I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm so nervous about that kind of stuff. I don't want to get her the right thing. So, yeah, I'm shaking in my sandals like the Israelites were. You want me to do this? And then here's, here's the calming relief. Okay, right here. She goes, all you have to do is go to the service center. I've already paid for it. It's already packaged. They're just going to hand it to you. That's it? Yep. That's all I got to do? Yep. I can do this. You following me on this? That's what God did with the Israelites. I've already given it to you. It's packaged up. It's been paid for. I've already had victory over it. All you have to do is walk in and take it. That's it. Yep, that's it. So God's going to explain how they're going to pick up the package. So read with me verse 3. Verse 3, and I've got these bullet points out here for you. Verse 3 says, You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Verse 4 says, Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. Verse 4 also says, On the seventh day, you're to march around the town seven times with the priest blowing the horns. Verse 5 says, When you hear the priest give one long blast on the ram's horns, have all the people shout as loud as they can. Then the walls of the town will collapse and the people can charge straight into the town. There, five easy steps. That's all you got to do right there. That's how you're going to pick it up, right? But I'm looking at this. I'm not seeing ramps. I'm not seeing catapults, arrows, spears, hand grenades. They didn't have them invented back then. But you know, you know I'm thinking? I'm thinking war. I'm thinking bust these walls down. None of that's in there. Just walk silently around the city. That's all. We're just going to walk around. See, when God gives us instructions for victory, it's best that we what? We listen and obey. Let's read this a little bit more thoroughly. Let's pick this up in verse 6. So Joshua calls together the priests and said, Take up the ark of the Lord's covenant and assign seven priests to walk in front of it, each carrying a ram's horn. Then he gave orders to the people, March around the town, and the armed men will lead the way in front of the ark of the Lord. Verse 8 says, After Joshua spoke to the people, the seven priests with the ram's horns started marching in the presence of the Lord, blowing the horns as they marched, and the ark of the Lord's covenant followed behind them. Some of the armed men marched in front of the priests with the horns, and some behind the ark with the priests continually blowing the horns. Verse 10, Do not shout, don't even talk, Joshua commanded. Not a single word from any of you until I tell you to shout. Then shout, 
So the ark of the Lord was carried around the town once a day. And then everyone returned to spend the night at camp. Joshua got up early the next morning, and the priest again carried the ark of the Lord. The seven priests with the ram's horn marched in front of the ark of the Lord, blowing their horns. Again, the armed men marched both in front of the priests with the horns and behind the ark of the Lord. All this time, the priests were blowing their horns. Verse 14. On the second day, they again marched around the towns once, we returned to the camp, and they followed this pattern for six days. That's what's going on. As I read that, and as you're picturing this, what are you thinking? What do you think the people inside Jericho are thinking? What do you think the Israelites are thinking when this is the instruction? What do you think Rahab, who was inside, was like, they're going to rescue me. And she looks out her window, and she just sees them marching around, and horns blowing, and then they go back to their camp. Is that it? I thought they are going to rescue me, right? I mean, what's going on? It all seems so weird. Weird instructions, right? Again, you might have a hard time picturing this. We've got actual footage from Jericho. We'll show it to you right now. We're going to knock your wall down. By walking around in circles? Yes. It's not because we're crazy or anything. Our God told us to do it this way. Oh, that's a great idea. You go ahead and keep walking. Keep walking. But you will knock down our wall, keep walking. But she isn't gonna fall, it's plain to see. Your brains are very small to think walking. We'll be knocking down our wall. You silly little pecan. You silly little bee. You think that walking around will bring this city to its knees? The awesome powers of this wall we've clearly demonstrated. But out here in the hot, hot sun, perhaps you're dehydrated? Ah, pity them, Philippe. Ah, mais oui, Jean-Claude, mais oui. Maybe it was just for me, because I enjoyed it too, right? But, but you get that picture, I mean, like, what is going on? That is so weird. That is so crazy. We're just going to walk around the city. That's it. Let me, let me break this story down a little bit more to what, what do most pastors do. i got three steps for you. Okay, so let's try that, okay? Here's the first thing as I want to encourage you with. First of all is silence. Silence. Can you imagine a week of silent attacks? As two million people encircled the city, and then they have these... Men marching around, walking the perimeter of the city, no one talking. I don't know if any of you have gone walking lately with another person and you didn't talk the whole time. You ever walked with somebody for like an hour, nobody talks? No distractions whatsoever, nothing's going on, no listening to music, no listening to podcasts, no listening to anything, no talking. You just walk. What do you think about? What's going on? 
I mean, the, the priests in this situation, they're walking in silence. Others are watching in silence. And you have to wonder what's going on in their minds. Like, are they sitting there thinking like, why are we doing this? I, I wonder, you know, what, the, what are the people inside? What are they thinking? I, is God going to destroy this city by us just walking around in silence? There's that parent that's like, is my kid going to be the first one to say something? Are they going to blurt it out? God said quiet silence, right? That would have been a sight to see. Just ask any te- teacher, what's it like to take your kindergarten class from your room down to the, let's say, the gym for an assembly or to lunch, right? You're going to keep them silent. Good luck on that, right? Many youth trips, I remember going on youth trips with the kids when I was a youth pastor. We get to our, our rooms at night. Maybe all the guys are in a bunk in the cabin or whatever it might be. And it's like, okay, lights out. We'll all get quiet. And then somebody makes a noise. We all start laughing. And then we're talking again. Then it gets quiet. And then there's a noise. And we all start laughing. And then we start talking. And that was in the guys' room. The girls' room, I can't vouch for what goes on in the girls' room. But I'm assuming they're probably not up all night just looking at each other in silence. There's probably a lot of yakking going on with the ladies, I'm sure. Because that's what junior high girls do, high school girls. I don't know. That's what we do. You get in a room with people and you, you just want to talk, right? That's what, makes, that's what makes coming to church sometimes challenging in the last nine months because we're so used to, hey, the, why don't you greet somebody? And we're going around greeting. And, and now it's like you walk in and you walk out. And we don't greet people like we used to because we're very fearful of a virus. And, and so we've all sort of peeled back on our gathering and peeled back on our, our social light, right? It's like, uh, I remember working at a camp when I was in college and I was in my cabin and it was only me and all the boys and they were just talking away. And I was like, guys, lights out. Let's go, quiet down. And I was like, hey guys, quiet down. You know, it's just the first night. We get new campers every week and they're trying to figure out who I was. I'm trying to figure out who they were. And they just kept talking. And there's one boy. Oh boy, he was a challenge. So right away, and we're going to call him Johnny. We always pick on Johnny. Why not? Okay. So, hey, Johnny, come here. So I took Johnny out of the cabin, walked him down the path to the bathrooms, opened up the stall, put the toilet seat down. I said, Johnny, have a seat there. seems that you have diarrhea of the mouth. You just can't stop talking. Okay. So you're just going to sit here until I come back. I go back to the cabin. I get in the cabin, and there's a bunch of whispering going on. And finally, somebody says, what happened to Johnny? And I said, you just keep talking. You'll find out. Dead silence the rest of the night. It was awesome. It was awesome. Of course, I fell asleep. Forgot about Johnny. Um, <laughs> praise God that they didn't know what a lawsuit was back in those days. So Johnny was fine. He was asleep. on the, He was all good. I carried him back. We we're all good. But it's so hard to have silence, isn't it? We need to cut that one from the... <laughs> that cannot be aired again. <laughs> Nobody can know about that. We'll get phone calls. Day after day, these people were walking. No weapons whatsoever. Like I said, no catapults, no spears, no arrows, nothing. Just no, no evidence of intimidation. Just silence. Just silence. And it may have been intimidating at first. Sort of like when, for those people that are in shark cages... And the sharks are going around, and it's, it's sort of like intimidating. Then you realize, the shark ain't getting in through this cage. All of a sudden, there's that relaxed feeling, like, whatever, you know. And I wonder if it's the same way for the people in Jericho. At first, as they saw him circling, remember, they knew their God, the God of Israel. 
that did all these amazing things. And they're at first, they were fearful, but as day four, five, six went on, did they sort of relax too? Like, whatever, they're just walking, let them walk. But this was part of God's first step in overcoming obstacles. Silence. Silence. How are we, how are we doing with silence, church? Personally, I struggle with it. I'm, I'm the kind of guy that if I'm with a group of people and it's quiet and we've all been there in Bible studies, you ask a question and nobody's saying anything and you feel like, I got to say something, right? And so you just blurt out something and you're like, later you're like, I wish I wouldn't have opened my mouth. I can't believe I said that. We, we've all done that, right? And instead of silence, we tweet, we, we post things, we, we say things. And then later we're like, why can't I just be quiet? As I do a lot of driving, I, I listen, I, you know, lately, this past week, especially, I was like, I'm tired of listening to news. I'm not listening to news anymore. And then it's like, well, I want to listen to a talk show. I don't want to listen to that talk show. And I want to listen to, I'm, I've heard that song 20 times. And it's so hard for what? Just to turn the radio off and drive in silence. It is so hard. Why is it so hard? Because in silence, I think that's when God starts talking to us. And sometimes we're a little fearful what God may say. But it's in that silence, in the quietness, where we need to hear God. Jesus, two stories, Matthew 14, 23, it said, After he had sent the multitudes away, he went up to the mountainside to pray. It was evening, he was there alone. Mark 1, 35 says, And in the early morning, while it was still dark, he arose and went out and departed to a lonely place and was praying there. Both situations, we see Jesus, the Son of God, basically saying what? I need to get alone with my Heavenly Father. I need to get quiet. There needs to be some silence. And that is tough. But faith is easier when you're quiet long enough to hear the words of God and hear Him give you instruction. And you hear Him give you hope. And you hear Him give you encouragement. But you've got to get silent. Here's the second thing, and that is obedience. Obedience is another key to victory here. And look at verse 14. On the second day, they again marched around the town once and returned to camp. They followed this pattern for six days. Hebrews 11.30 says, By faith the walls fell after the people marched. It wasn't like God gave them instructions to say, well, we'll march when we see a, a couple of walls cracking and crumbling evidence. We need evidence that this is going to work. They marched, went back to their tent. They got up the next day, marched, went back to their tent. Six days, they followed the instructions. They were obedient. Obedience is a demonstration of our faith. We don't like uh, hypocrites, do we? <laughs> Matter of fact, a lot of us, actually, we're all sort of hypocritical at times. We say one thing and we do another. And we, we don't like it. We see it in ourselves. But we, when we see it in other people, it probably gets us even up a little more upset. But we don't want to hear somebody say, hey, I'm going to give this eloquent speech on giving, but I'm not going to be very giving. Hey, you all need to be serving, but I don't serve. Hey, let's all be loving, but yet I don't show love. See, it's one thing to say it, but we want to see it, too. And that's sort of part of obedience. It isn't like, hey, I'm a Christian. Guess what Christians do? Christians obey. We obey. We get quiet so we can hear God. Then we obey God with what he tells us. 
There's a story in 1 Samuel 15. Samuel comes to King Saul. King Saul has just given instructions by God to go into this nation, to overtake this city, take everything that's in there and destroy it, right? Saul didn't exactly do that. He kept a few things. God sees it. Says, Samuel, go call Saul out on this. So Samuel goes to Saul. Hey, Saul, you didn't obey God. Saul's like, yeah, I did. Then Samuel says this. What is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice and submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft. Stubbornness is bad as worshiping idols. So because you've rejected the command of the Lord, he's rejected you as king. King Saul was in was good with God and he was the king. And, but yet he's like, well, I, I gave God an offering. I went to church. I worshiped, right? And Samuel's like, God doesn't want your burnt offerings. He wants your obedience too. Don't give me lip service by singing songs to God, but they're not living for God. They go hand in hand. You love God, you live for God. Obedience. You know, how many times have we read in the Bible and we hear this, that what? Jesus loves me, right? We sing songs about it, at least when we're kids, right? Jesus loves me, this I know, what? For the Bible tells me so. It isn't all about what the Bible says, it's what we see. Philippians chapter 2, verse 7 says, Instead, he, being Jesus, gave up his divine privileges. That means he left heaven. He took the humble position of a slave, was born of a human being, which we just celebrated Christmas. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. He died a criminal's death on a cross. See, Jesus loves you. This you know, right? Jesus didn't say, I just love you. He showed you. He showed me his love. I love you, and I will die for you. And he did. He shows it. He obediently showed his love. So that that daily walk in silence was a weird tactic, right? But then it wasn't just about being silent. It was about being obedient. He said, walk, we're going to walk. We're going to be quiet. We're going to be quiet. We're going to obey. And people think when as Christians right now, people are going to look at you, and if they aren't already, they should be, looking at you and saying, you're weird. When you tell people that God loves them, hey, I'm going to pray for you. Hey, I'm going to keep myself pure until marriage. Hey, I'm not going to swear. I'm not going to drink or I'm not going to do drugs or I don't do this. I don't do that because of my faith. This world looks at you and goes, you're weird because you're not doing that. You're weird because you stand up for Jesus. You're weird because you wear a Jesus shirt. I mean, as Christians, we do things and people look at us and say, you're weird. Sort of like the situation at Jericho, right? But when you're obedient to God, you will be perceived as being different or weird. Get quiet with God. Obey God. Here's the third and final thing. Perseverance. Perseverance. Perseverance is basically obedience to the end. Look at verse 15. On the seventh day, the Israelites got up at dawn. They marched around the town as they had done before. But this time, they went around the town seven times. 
The seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast on their horns, Joshua commanded the people, Shout, for the Lord has given you the town. Verse 17. Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed as an offering to the Lord. Only Rahab the prostitute and the others in her house will be spared, for she protected our spies. Do not take any of the things set apart for destruction, or you yourselves will be completely destroyed, and you'll bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into the treasury. When the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town, and they captured it. See, they, they are quiet. They were obedient. And then they persevered until the very end. They kept on going until the job was done. How many examples do we have pictures of perseverance? When times are tough, I'm going to keep going. I love this picture of the tree that grew up through a rock. It's like, are you kidding me? You know, between a rock and a hard place? Literally, this is it right here. And that tree says, I'm still growing. Life around me is, is hard. It's tough. It's difficult. But I'm going to keep growing. I love that picture. But think about it. Business, relationships, teams, people quitting when things get tough. I grew up in Indiana, which means I grew up watching IU basketball, Indiana University basketball. So by definition, I'm a Hoosier fan because I grew up there, right? It's sort of the way it works. And even though I've lived in Ohio for the last 30 years, I still like watching a good IU basketball game. And they were playing the other night against Iowa, ranked number four, only two losses. Indiana, not so much a great season. They got just above average record. And they're playing at Iowa. And when you're on the road playing a in the Big Ten, good luck on winning on the road. Oh, and when you got a couple players out for injury or COVID, good luck on winning on the road. So I turned on to watch the game, and I'm watching the first half. And it's halftime, and Indiana's losing by eight, nine points, I think. Turn on the second half, and, and it's ten minutes left in the game. They're still losing. Oh, and one of their best players, foul trouble sitting on the bench. Another one, foul trouble sitting on the bench. It's like they're never going to. So what does a good IU fan do? Well, what does this IU fan do? I do what my dad taught me. Turn the TV off, go to the basement. I'm not going to watch that. Why do I want to watch my team lose, right? I, I gave up on them. Woke up the next morning, discovered that IU's defense was so tough, shut down Iowa, they never scored much in the last 10 minutes, and IU actually won by double digits. I'm like, what? How did that happen? I don't know. Because I never stayed around to watch. I quit, Right? And that's sort of the problem with us sometimes in our faith. We quit instead of persevering. We're told in Scripture, right? And we've seen pictures in Scripture how we should continue to persevere. When the odds seem overwhelming and it appears that our efforts are worthless, why keep going? How about because God said, keep going? Because that's not how God rolls. God never gives up. These people were given instructions one day at a time. And he's saying, just obey me and obey me to the end. And at the end of each day, they go back to camp, sit in silence. They go back to their tent. Walls are still standing. They're like, I don't get it. We walked. We didn't say a word. And nothing happened. I mean, what are you waiting for? 
people inside Jericho to bust open the door and say, we surrender, this silence is killing us, right? Is that what they're expecting? No, that ain't happening either. It's not just obedience. It's obedience to the end. You did it once, twice, three, four, five, six, day seven. Keep going. Keep going. Don't give up. Don't give up. Let me wrap this up, church. If you're a Christian in here, it's very clear to all of us that we have an opponent. We have tough times in front of us. We have things that obstruct us. And usually, 99% of the time, it's probably spiritual. When we're trying to live for God, it's always going to be a spiritual battle. And I want to encourage you, first thing, just silence. Get quiet with God. Pray, read the Word. That's the reason why we call it quiet time. And I want to encourage you, besides being silent, then be obedient. That time alone with God, when you're quiet and He starts speaking to you, He'll probably tell you what to do. Now you just got to follow through with it. And then the last thing is what? Perseverance. Finish it. Finish the job. Don't give up. Keep walking. And if you're in here or you're watching online and you're not a Christian... Pay careful attention to the story too. Because here's a lesson that the people inside Jericho learned. Inside, they didn't believe in God. They, they knew that a God existed. But they didn't trust God. And they were judged for it. For those in this world who have not placed their faith in Jesus Christ, there is a judgment coming for you. If you don't trust God, destruction is on its way. For those of us who believe in God, silence, obedience, perseverance. Keep walking. Don't give up. Don't give up. I'm going to ask the worship team to come forward. And as they're coming up, years ago, probably about 25 years ago, my first trip to the Dominican Republic with, with our uh, youth group. And there was about 25, 26 of us on this trip. And... And I was in charge, and all I knew was we got to get from Ohio to Miami to Santo Domingo. Once we get into Santo Domingo, our missionary Jim Smith would meet us in the airport. My biggest fear was one, I didn't speak Spanish. Two, we got to get through customs. And I've heard all kinds of crazy stories. And you get down there, and everybody's speaking Spanish, and there's soldiers with guns, and and you're like, I've got 25, 26 of us, and and uh, I got to get through customs, and and I. We get off the plane, we're walking, we stop, and we're like looking at all these lines, trying to figure out what to do. And then I see, I see Jim off in the distance, and it's like, ah, good, there's Jim. Jim comes over, and he just says, just stay where you're at. Just stay right there, and just wait for me. Instructions were pretty clear, right? Be quiet, just wait. Okay. Jim goes off, and he's talking to some, uh, some security and some other people and having a conversation. And then he goes around the corner, and he's gone. And I'm thinking, there's our missionary. And this is like one of the first times I've ever really gotten to know him, so I really don't know him too well. And, and I'm like, I'm getting antsy, right? I can't handle silence. can't handle the waiting. And so after a few minutes more, and it would have felt like forever. It was probably only a couple minutes, but it felt like 10, 20 minutes. Maybe it's probably two. I don't know. I, I panicked. And I was like, well, the lines had gone down in customs, so maybe we can all get through now. Maybe that's what he was wanting me to wait on. So I started guessing at what he wanted. I don't know. It's like, all right, guys, let's go. And so just get in line, get in line. We all start moving forward to get in line. And then out of nowhere, Jim comes around the corner like, wait, get back. You know, and he got us all back, and he gets in my face, and he's like, what were you doing? Uh, Making a decision. I'm a leader, right? 
What did I tell you to do? Wait right here. Why did you move? Why why didn't you wait on me? In that moment, it reminds me so much of my relationship with God. How many times has God told me, just wait on me? See, if you try to move forward too quick, something's probably going to happen that's not going to be good for you. Because we move through customs without the proper identification or something, whatever it be. Some of us are going to be held up. It's very simple there in a, in a third world country back then. It was one mistake puts you in jail for, for doing nothing wrong, really. It's just their, their way. But how many times have I not listened to God? And he said, why don't you just wait? I can't wait anymore. I know i got to be doing something. I know the way ahead of you looks difficult. I'm going to give you instructions. When the instructions come, then follow me and go. Now, I didn't finish the story in the first service. And somebody came up to me afterwards and said, you never finished the story. What happened? So I'll share what happened. So in that moment, Jim took all of us together. And we all went over to the side. And just walked right through. Nobody, no bags checked. No IDs checked. Nothing. We just walked right through. It was like it had already been taken care of. See, I was trying to rush through on my own to take care of it. And here it was already taken care of. But I had to wait. I believe that's the way God works with us. He's got stuff in your life, difficult times you're facing right now. He's already taken care of it, but you just got to wait. Silence, obedience, persevere. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for truth. Lord, we all have tough times. We all have difficult things we have to face, and it's not easy. And sometimes we want to rush ahead not knowing what to do, or we think our way is best. But sometimes, God, what it is is we just need to get quiet and get alone with you, not listen to all the incredible sources of information that are out there, all the incredible authors and speakers and great things they have to say. And as helpful as they may be, sometimes, God, it's, that's not what we're not supposed to hear. We're supposed to be silent and listen to you. And God, when you give us the instructions and the move forward, help us to be obedient and obedient to the end. Help us not just to listen to half the instructions and be halfway obedient. Help us be fully obedient. God, thank you that you are so patient with us. And in those moments, sometimes you, uh, you rescue us when we are about ready to get in big trouble. I thank you for that. God, I thank you that you love us enough that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for us, to save us, to rescue us. God, thank you for showing your love and not just saying you love us, but you showed us your love. So God, for those of us in this room and listening, God, we do want to admit our sins to you and our mistakes. Forgive us, Lord. We want to place our faith in you, God. We want to trust you. We want to live for you. We want you to be not just our Savior, but our Lord as well. Savior and Lord. God, thank you for that. Lord, help us as we move through this day to be quiet, to listen, and then to follow with full obedience, Lord. We love you. We want to sing to you now, Lord. In our name we pray. Amen.